Well, if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open up again to page 837. We're going to be looking at Mark, um, the next section from the end of chapter 1 to the middle of chapter 2. By the way, if um, you need a copy of the message, there is a copy available for you, and you can either get it now or you can get it on the way out. Um, sometimes, if English is not your first language, it's easy to have a look at that um, as I speak to you. Well, the title we're looking at is The Surprising Assignment. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we pray you would help each one of us to see wonderful things here as we look at it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever got up one morning and you're feeling absolutely fine? You go to the bathroom, you get dressed and washed, you go downstairs. Isn't it just a lovely day? And then you have your breakfast, get a cup of tea or coffee, two Weetabix, orange juice. And then the next thing, you pick up your phone and you dial to make an appointment with your doctor. Well, I certainly haven't done that kind of thing. And I'm sure you haven't either, because when you're sick, you call the doctor. And you get that appointment sometime in May. But sick people call the doctor, not usually people who wake up well, feeling happy. And it seems, doesn't it, that Jesus is making the same point. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 2 in Mark here. Jesus speaks and he says, Those who are well, verse 17 of chapter 2, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus is re repeating here what's a popular proverb. And he's saying something about why he came his mission, his assignment. I came to call not righteous people, but sinners. Now, if you were here last week, or if you've read the early chapter in Mark, he's been describing Jesus' full identity. And you will remember, and you can look back here, he described Jesus as the stronger one, the mightier one, chapter 1, verse 7. The Son of God was Mark's title, chapter 1, verse 1. And then again, 1, verse 11. And as Mark continues this, he's describing why Jesus came. So we're getting to grips with who he is. Here's why he came. And it's really coming to a head here in this verse, chapter 2, 17, with a statement like this one. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what we're going to look at this morning is three incidents here that go together. Three incidents. And each one is quite surprising in its own way. But together they're designed, and Mark has put these together to help us, the readers, work out why Jesus has come. So we're going to look at three surprising incidents here. Um, we're going to look at a surprising healing, the end of chapter 1. We're going to look at a surprising priority, start of chapter 2. And then finally, the surprising dinner party towards the middle of chapter 2. Okay, so a surprising healing. Here it is. Have a look with me. Chapter 1, verse 40. The Bible says, And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, this man had what you might call the death knell of all diseases. Leprosy. Leprosy, you probably know, didn't only damage people, slowly disabling them and ruining their bodies. Leprosy was the great isolator. It was the thing that once people got it, they were excluded from their families and communities. 
And so as well as these horrible symptoms of his skin disease, leprosy brought its victims horrible, horrible loneliness. And Mark's preparing us for this incident with the, the man with leprosy, because in chapter 1, Jesus is healing people. Um, remember there was a man with an evil spirit back in chapter 1, verse 26. Then, if you read in verse 31, Simon's mother-in-law has a fever, and it says Jesus instantly healed her. Then look at chapter 1, verse 34. It says Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But now leprosy is in front of them. It's quite dramatic. How will Jesus respond to leprosy? Well, it doesn't take long. Verse 41. The man has fallen on his knees and asked Jesus. But look at verse 41. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. In other words, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. We've seen that word before, immediately. Well, here Mark uses it again. Immediately, leprosy is no match for Jesus Christ. He's made clean. Mark wants us to see this as a climax to this healing ministry of Jesus so far. He immediately wipes out this horrendous disease and leaves this man free of it. So is that why he came? Is that why Jesus came? To heal people? To put an end to these horrible diseases? Well, in a word, Mark would say no. Now, there is a surprising touch here and the immediacy of the healing, but those aren't the, the most surprising things about this healing. Yes, there's a miracle, but even that in itself doesn't seem to explain why Jesus came. Look back to what he'd said to his disciples just before the part Sheila read to us. Look at verse 38 of chapter 1. And he said to them, verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Why did Jesus come? Was it not for healing? No, no. Jesus says in his own words that I may preach. Jesus told his disciples and Mark lets us know that he hasn't just come to be the healer. And yet he does heal people demonstrating this, this authority over sickness and evil spirits. I reckon the most surprising thing about the healing of the man with leprosy is that despite this compassionate, climactic, wonderful healing of this horrible disease, we know from Jesus' own words that it's not the main reason he came. It's quite surprising, isn't it? And yet it's right there in front of us. Jesus came to preach. Now, if you want to think about this, healing is part of it. Because preaching is like the big heading under which healing falls in. And all these miraculous healings fall under that heading. This teaching with authority. The words of Jesus make a difference. And so healing does fall under that big heading. And, and think about this man with leprosy for a minute. Jesus is not only healing him of a debilitating illness. Look at the words Mark uses. It's a cleansing did you notice the word cleansing? You see, lepers in the culture and religion of the day, the Jewish religion, were ritually unclean. They're separated from their people and God. And the Old Testament book of Leviticus makes this clear in chapter 13 of Leviticus, if you want to look it up later. But Jesus shows us that he can actually cleanse people. He can make those who are unclean, clean. 
Look at from verse 43. Because the, after the immediacy of the healing, the Bible tells us Jesus sternly charged this man and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So why did Jesus come? Not just to heal, but to cleanse. Jesus is about restoring outcasts, restoring their relationships with their community and with God. And when he preaches, it's the kind of preaching that has real relevance in restoring people. Now, I remember growing up, um, we used to think that the doctor was the person you went to when you were sick. He is the prescription writer. He is the man that gives you the script. You go to the chemist, you get the medicine, you get well. But have you noticed that recently on the television, there are adverts that say things like, talk to your doctor if you're not feeling well. Or if there's other things going on, talk to your doctor. Use your general practitioner for more than just writing the script. And, and in some ways, Mark wants us to see Jesus like this. There's more to him than just the healer. There's a bigger pictures. And like those communities where the doctor was more than someone who just wrote the prescription. In the biblical accounts, Mark wants us to see Jesus too. Yes, he's fixing ailments. But let's have an eye beyond to the deeper issues that Mark's pointing to. Well, we're ready for another surprise. And it's the start of chapter 2. So we've seen this surprising healing. Here it is. A surprising priority in the first 12 verses of chapter 2. And I'm sure this is very familiar territory to you if you've been a Christian. Jesus surrounded by so many people that there's no room in this house in Capernaum as he preaches to them. And the scene is set for a group of men to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Verse 4. It says, let's pick it up in verse 4. And when they could not get near him, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Mark records the shocking climax. This disabled man meets Jesus, and Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. And we must be thinking, how can that be relevant? Imagine for a minute your car breaks down. Now, for me, I don't have to imagine that because it does happen quite regularly. But you've got a nice car. Imagine it breaks down. And then imagine you call out a mechanic. And you're stranded on the M50, and out he comes. And he starts jacking up your car. And he takes out some underbody wax and starts waxing the bottom of the car. And you're thinking, what? Surely my car doesn't need an underbody wax. It needs you to look at the engine and sort it out. You see, Jesus' priority, at first glance, seems quite strange to us. He's dealing with sins first. And again, Mark's pointing us towards this mission. Why did he come? Not just to heal people, not just to get noticed as the great healer. And in fact, he does the opposite. Did you notice what he said to the, the man with leprosy? Don't tell anyone. It's sometimes called the messianic secret. Why would Jesus tell people not to tell them what he's done? Well, it seems to be because people will immediately pigeonhole him as the healer, and he'll have crowds of people, crowds and crowds and crowds of people, and he won't do what he came, or won't be able to do what he came to do, 
which was to preach the message of the kingdom of God. So it's very interesting how all this fits together. You see, why did he come? It's not just a healer. It's actually to deal with something more serious. Now, the conflict in our minds, how is this relevant, is even more pointed for those who witnessed this. Have a look from verse 6. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, were, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose, immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus has been so unapologetic here. He's assumed the right to take on a God-reserved authority to forgive sins. He's done it there in their hearing. Not just mentioned, God will forgive your sins. And some people try to make it sound like that. He's actually saying, no, I'm forgiving your sins. This is happening as I stand there. Your sins are forgiven. And, and to tell someone that your sins are forgiven, and to do that first before anything else, it's something extraordinary. Now, let's understand what Mark is doing. And if we understand it correctly, Jesus has come to deal with sin first. And that must mean in his view and from Jesus' perspective that sin's an even greater problem to people like you and me than, say, disability. Biblically speaking, sin is at its core rebellion. That's how the Bible sets it up. And it's rebellion against God, a, a sort of default setting, doing what we want. And eventually it comes out as things like lies and gossip and fights and bad language, and then the more criminal ones like murder and fraud, etc., and Jesus claims to have the capability to rid people of it as a priority. It's shocking, isn't it? It's surprising. And that truly raises the stakes about who he is. So things are getting heated. Things are arising. Now, there's two other things. Just we'll take a, a little break here. Two other things are rising in Mark. One thing has been this rising sort of stakes about who Jesus is. Who is this guy? But there's two other things. There's hostility to him that, that firstly is unspoken. And you'll notice that these guys in chapter 2, verse 6, they did it inwardly. It was like a, I'm not sure about him, but they were sort of questioning him inwardly, the Bible says. Why does this man do this kind of stuff? Why does he speak like this? But soon they'll go ahead and verbalize that. So the hostility gets more pronounced. Because they, they say to his disciples, verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Then they'll challenge him directly, verse 19 and verse 24 of chapter 2. And eventually by chapter 3, plot to kill him. So there's this rising hostility to who Jesus is, along with this rising sense of who is he. Well, here's the second thing that's rising, and it's amazement. How shocked have you ever been? Can you think of the, the most shocking thing that someone's ever said to you? Maybe it was a surprise party and you were completely, you nearly fainted. Well, in some ways, 
the astonishment and the amazement is rising here along with the hostility. Verse 22, astonished. Verse 27 of chapter 1, amazed. And then amazement leads to discussions about who Jesus is, his identity. You see, Mark is urging readers like us to reflect on Jesus and to continue looking at his commentary about who he is. Now, for the very first time in Mark, Mark says this 14 times, but for the very first time, he uses a title for Jesus in chapter 2, verse 10. Did you notice it as we pass through? The first time, this very famous title for Jesus, chapter 2, verse 10, Mark says, or he records Jesus' words, the Son of Man. What a title, and, and those who would have known their Bibles would have known what Jesus was referring to in Daniel's prophecy, the Son of Man. And there's an important statement here, right in the midst of this healing and this sin um, forgiving, that Jesus is the Son of Man. I think that's where we're all now in chapter 2, face to face with Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of Man, Son of God. And perhaps you are amazed, or at least confronted with his real mission. Well, there's one more surprising incident as we process through this and it's a surprising dinner party and it's here at the middle of chapter 2 from verse 13 well jesus is having a dinner party and he's called this man we notice called levi now levi the bible tells us was a tax collector so he's probably despised maybe even dishonest and then jesus decides to meet up with him socially they go on this uh, dinner party together have a look at verse 15 and as jesus reclined at table in his house many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him and the scribes of the pharisees when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners and when jesus heard it he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I think it's interesting that Mark doesn't tell us about all the action at the party. But he does point to the reaction that that party is causing. Why? Why is Jesus with the sinners and the tax collectors? And it's as if Mark, by recording this incident as he does, is pressing home Jesus' real mission here. No, not to heal, but to deal with sins. And no, not to heal with sins in some general senses. You're all forgiven. But by dealing with sinners, real people like Levi, real people who needed saving, people like the religious authorities looked down on and didn't think were worth much. And the more we see who Jesus is, the more you might see yourself at that dinner party too. Well, look at the climax to these incidents. It's what Jesus says in that verse 17. A definitive statement. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, what's Jesus not saying? I, I don't think he's saying that there are people who don't need him. It's not as if he's saying, ah, yeah, there's some people I didn't come for. Healthy people. He's actually using irony here. Some people think they're all right but I've come to call them. I've come to offer them forgiveness 
and the kingdom of God to those people who wake up in the morning and realize they're sinners. To those who wake up feeling fine, he says, okay, but you're going to need some help with your greatest problem, your sin. Jesus came to deal with sin, and that is our greatest problem, to deal with sinners, people like me and like you. People who have other problems, yes, but we have a deep one, that's our sin. And the Bible's good news, here explained in Mark, is that God is a God like this. He's reached out with an amazing gift of cleansing forgiveness, a free gift of a living relationship with him. A surprising assignment? God's called us. I haven't woken up and felt the need not to call him. God has called us to follow him. That was his mission. This is why I have come to call those who need a doctor. Those who need someone to sort them out where they most need it. And maybe that's the biggest surprise here. If I'm not a follower of Jesus, I might have never realized my great need of the great physician. Maybe you have never thought about that. Maybe there have been so many missed calls on your phone over the years. Jesus is calling. He's telling you, every time you've heard the message of the gospel or spoken to Christians, you've heard someone say something a bit like this, and yet you've left it as a missed call. And yet Jesus calls again. Come follow me. I can heal you of your biggest problem. So, so what should I do then? I mean, what should I do? The Bible says that every one of us, in all our capabilities, and there are some capable people in this room, very capable people, professional people, people with good jobs and with families and, and, and with um, accolades to their name. But the Bible says every one of us, no matter what capabilities or credentials we have, that we're sinners who need a savior. You know, before us is not one of the, the great men in those biographies. He's not just a guy that we can sit back and look at and say, isn't he wonderful? But he's the Lord himself. And it matters that I stand in front of him and how I stand before him. Well, if you are a Christian, we're reminded of something yet again. And perhaps again and again you've been reminded, or maybe you need this reminder in 2019. The amazing grace of God who will reach out for us because of our amazing need. And maybe this finds you today prompted to want to explain that grace to other people. Explain the need that you have for a savior, why he came. To explain the surprise of those who were, who were expecting us to describe a religious experience, but to, des to describe the God who in his grace and mercy sent Jesus. Well, I'm gonna invite um, the musicians. Chris is gonna play for us. Um, it's a very familiar song, Amazing Grace. Now, did you know that the man who wrote this song, he realized that Jesus was more than a healer, and in all this man's failures as a slave trader, he found his forgiveness to be the single most liberating thing of his life, and he sang Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Let's listen in and sing as the musicians lead us.